join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Peace is the theme for the second Sunday in Advent, and so we are going to begin this morning with a story for all ages using a book that is just called Peace. And it is uh, written, I have to get to the title page. I have to get a little more settled. I can tell you who it's written by. <laughs> it is uh, written by Baptiste Paul and Miranda Paul. And you are certainly welcome, as always, to move closer if you prefer to see the pictures on the book, and they will be on the screen. Peace is a hello, a smile, a hug. Peace can be bold or quiet or snug. Peace is pronouncing your friend's name correctly. Peace means we can talk to each other directly. Peace can begin with a laugh and a wave and grow into actions remarkably brave. Peace comes from giving far more than you take. It's something we work toward. It's something we make. Peace is on purpose. Peace is a choice. Peace lets the smallest of us have a voice. Peace follows, I'm sorry. It can let differences live. It spreads and it strengthens when hearts can forgive. Peace is a pillow that softens our sleep Peace pulls us through darkness or up from the deep. Peace is old like the stars and new as a birth. And if we embrace it, peace cradles the earth. We are turning to another vision of peace this morning, several other visions of peace this morning. And the first, we will hear from the prophet Isaiah. You'll notice this one too has some images of animals and humans getting along together. It comes from Isaiah 11. And we are beginning at verse 6. 
The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A couple weeks ago in Children's Church, the uh, leader for that day asked the kids to draw what they thought peace looked like. And I'm always fascinated by that, by how do people represent peace? And we heard it in our book and then out of this scripture passage. And so I asked, what, what did the kids draw? And some of them drew symbols, like a peace sign or a heart. And some of them drew some of the things that we heard in that book. They drew people working together or playing together. Some of the kids drew conversations, like one person saying together, I'm sorry, or I love you. That's been a theme throughout history that people, artists, have tried to answer the question, what would peace look like? And many of them have turned to this passage from Isaiah as inspiration. There's a painting that is on your bulletin cover, and we're going to put it up on the screen for a moment here so that folks at home can see it. It was done by Edward Hicks, and it was done somewhere in the early 1830s, and it's hard to date his paintings exactly because he painted 62 versions of this scene from Isaiah, and they all had different details. And so you see, it looks like a pretty clear interpretation of the passage. There are predators and there are prey together and there's a child hugging a lion. But there are other parts of Hicks' paintings where he drew on different elements of his life. And in this version, you can see in the background, kind of on the right uh, upper corner, that there's a tree. And if you look closely at it, the trunk is broken. And Hicks, who was a Quaker minister, painted that element to represent this uh, split, this argument that was going on within his denomination in the 1820s. The broken tree for him was a representation of a place that peace needed to happen. And so this painting became something like a prayer as well as a hopeful vision. That was a feature of his work. I said that he painted this same scene 62 times, but usually there was a different element in each painting. And the other one that's very famous, he includes a scene of Europeans and of Native Americans signing a treaty in the background. And other paintings highlight other needs of the time, other places where the need for peace was weighing on him. 
Art historians point out that Edward Hicks painted this scene over and over because his religious tradition at the time didn't value art or painting. So painting a religious scene was a way for him to do something that he loved without pushing the boundaries of his faith. But I think there is another meaning in the idea of painting peace over and over again. There are countless images in the Bible that he could have painted, but he sat with this one, asking again and again, what would peace look like? And I wonder if that's because he, like us, knew that peace had to be imagined and reimagining. And that this imagining is always a complex layering of our dreams and our griefs. That's kind of the place that we paid attention to last week when we talked about hope, if you were able to be here for that. It's that intersection of longing and trust. And so when we look at these meditations of Hicks, which is how I like to think of them, I think we see another element emerge, and that other element is wonder. Wonder is the root of art, whether it's painting or writing a memoir or cooking a beautiful meal, because it is hard to do any of these things unless you find a sense of curiosity about them, an appreciation for the beautiful possibilities. There's a teacher, Marta Berea, who talks about this kind of imaginative engagement as the wonder machine. And she says, wonder is a mechanism that keeps us seeing a way in the midst of turbulence. Wonder is underneath the pursuit of peace. I think that's part of why this passage in Isaiah continues to be the passage we turn to again and again when we think, what does peace look like? It tickles our imaginations, kind of the same way that Christmas Eve tickles our imagination. It's like in those moments we can almost glimpse a new reality, and that reality is waiting just below the surface. And I also think it helps that it has animals in it. But it's not just because the animals are cute, it's because we learn something from them. How many of you, and it's okay to show a show of hands if you're up for it, how many of you learned loyalty from a dog? Or comfort from a cat? I learned delight from a hamster. Anybody else learned delight from a small creature? (laughs) Isaiah invites us to imagine a world where there is more of that. A world where we are learning more from each other. And so I was fascinated when I read recently about um, hedgehog highways in England. Have any of you heard about hedgehog highways? They're not highways, exactly. (laughs) But what happened was that after World War II, the hedgehog population had a steep decline, and it had to do with the spread of suburban areas, um, 
greater use of pesticides and hedgehogs feed on pests, so their food sources were no longer available. They're also big travelers, apparently, so they need a lot of territory. And as fences began being built, they couldn't get to the places that they needed to get. And so people started creating hedgehog highways, and they're really just little holes in fences that are big enough for a hedgehog to get through. And then when enough people have these little holes in their fences, hedgehogs can get access to the big territory that they need. And there are people who map where the hedgehog highways are so they can see where they need more holes. I love it because I like the delightfulness of just making a space for another one of God's little tiny creatures. But what's really fun, if you have a chance to look it up, is to see how whimsical the hedgehog highways get. People put little uh, hedgehog-sized signs above their hole so that if the hedgehog can read, they know that's their way through. <laughs> they lay uh, sticks in front of the hole, like not enough to trap the hedgehog, but just enough that they can go out every morning and see if the stick has been moved and if a hedgehog used their hole. And so what became a problem for hedgehogs is now this source of fun and community for all of the people who are banding together to take care of them. It's a glimpse of peace, isn't it? It's a little glimpse of the wholeness and the restoration that is possible when we emphasize right relationships, which is really all peace is, right relationships. And so that's why this work of peace is about finding the wonder to envision a new way again and again for as long as it takes. It's a reminder that the way forward is the way of curiosity. I appreciate so much Krista Tippett's quote that living in relationship means that we learn to ask questions that are less concerned with, are you like us, and more interested in, what is it like to be you? I think of how many wars are fought because the question that we have been asking is, are you like us? But we don't have to just point the finger out there at world governments and large-scale problems because we know from the relationships in our own lives that there are so many times when we lead from something more like single-mindedness, when we could be leading with open-mindedness. And so this week as we ponder peace, I think it could be a great spiritual practice to ask once a day, what's it like? to be you. And maybe we don't accost strangers on the street with that question, but we could ponder it. We could ponder it with our family members, especially when they are getting on every last nerve that we have. We could ponder it with that exceedingly slow clerk at whatever line we're impatiently waiting in. There's a shift that comes when we ask that question. And it's a shift that seems to be reflected in Isaiah's view of what leadership looks like under the coming Messiah. We started with the end 
of the reading for today with what the peaceable kingdom would look like, but it's not where Isaiah starts. And so I wanna go backwards a little bit. I wanna go back and hear verses three through five of that same chapter. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And fear there is really, would be better translated something like reverence. His delight shall be in the reverence of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor, and he will decide with fairness for the meek of the earth. Righteousness will be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. Isaiah gives us a few qualities there. In the age of peace, he says, the one who is to come, the one that we will all follow, will revere God and will avoid making decisions too quickly. He will avoid making decisions based on hearsay or gossip. And he will make decisions that are right for those who suffer. Those are the traits of the coming Messiah, and they are the traits of those who seek to follow him. But you hear too, don't you, in those traits, how those traits of peace reflect an attitude of wonder or curiosity. How they come with practice when we ask wise questions like, what is it like to be you? Where are the places of hurt for you? Where do we long for a new world together? And so as we turn to lighting the candle of peace this week, I invite you first to take a moment to set an intention for these next seven days, to set an intention for curiosity, for asking perhaps the question of the people that you meet, what is it like to be you?